Welcome to this Monday show with the Terry and Jesse show. Matt Arnold sitting in for Jess Romero. And we're going to talk about a topic that everybody's going to want to know about. It's called salvation. How is one saved? Matt, thanks for taking the time with me again, my friend. Always a pleasure to be here, Terry. You know, Matt, I can't think, I say this to Bishop Strickland and I say it to you. I say it to Jesse too. But I just really, really enjoy talking about the most important things of life which is how to get to heaven. And I think it's just like, am I really, you know, do I really get to do this? And I really mean, yes, it's fun. And I encourage our (laughs) listeners to really study their faith, because once you study your faith, you realize how little you know. I remember Socrates reading his life and saying, people say, you're so smart, Matt Arnold. Well, Matt and Terry, (laughs) no. You know, if, if I'm smart, it's because I know I know nothing. I'm still learning. And that's what we have with our Catholic faith. We're constantly learning every day something new about our faith. And this is the attitude we have to have, I think, to fall deep in love with Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, Matt. Well, let's go ahead. Uh, let's get our soul food because we talked, we're going to talk about salvation. But uh, the Gospel of Matthew, we've been reading Matthew for weeks now at the Daily Mass. Now we have Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 to 21. If you could be so good, please. When Jesus heard of the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew in a boat to a deserted place by himself. The crowds heard of this and followed him on foot from their towns. When he disembarked and saw the vast crowd, his heart was moved with pity for them, and he cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples approached him and said, This is a deserted place, and it it is already late. Dismiss the crowds so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. He said to them, There is no need for them to go away. Give them some food yourselves. But they said to him, Five loaves and two fish are all we have here. Then he said, Bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he said the blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples, who in turn gave them to the crowds. Then all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up the fragments left over, Twelve wicker baskets full. Those who ate were about five thousand men, not counting women and children. Thus far the words of the Holy Gospel. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Matthew, we could sit for the rest of the show. Easily. (laughs) You know where I'm going with it. So let's take our time, because this gospel, I think, deserves more than just a few words. So I'm going to let you go first on your take on this. Take your time with it. Well, you know, the, the various accounts in the scriptures of the uh, miraculous yes. feeding of the 5,000, yes. as it's called, yes. uh, the miraculous multiplication of the loaves and fishes, yes. is is a gospel that's so often abused these days. Big time. I, I, I can remember the very first time <laughs> I heard oh, the no. uh, the miracle of sharing interpretation, <laughs> right? You've heard of this. And I can remember it was it was a monsignor at our parish yeah. uh, said that um, there, Jesus didn't really multiply the loaves, loaves and fishes, yeah. you know, miraculously, but rather that the people, you know, were carrying food with them, and they all were moved by his words to, you know, his confidence in in making the blessing, and and they all brought forth their food, and and lo and behold, not only did they have enough, there was even some left over. Yeah, and. And the thing is, you know, that's, of course, that's that's deeply nonsensical. It's it's, it's has nothing to do with what we're actually reading in the scripture. And there are multiple versions of the loaves and fishes. It's not just in Matthew's gospel; it's in Mark's gospel, and in John's gospel, of course, he tells us about the um, sermon that Jesus preached the following day mm-hmm. at the synagogue in Capernaum. Right, the 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 uh, in John chapter six, it's yep. the bread of life discourse yep. where he goes into Amen. some great detail, saying, "You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood." And they're going, they don't know what he's talking about exactly <laughs> because they didn't understand about the loaves and fish, and and of course this this miracle, which was a real miracle, was a sign for the way that he would multiply his body throughout the world through the spread of the church, and of course, most especially in the Holy Eucharist. Matthew, my take on that, too, is that those individual priests or deacons who we've all heard at Holy Mass give that false explanation of the Blessed Sacrament, or excuse me, the breaking of the bread, it does affect people's uh, understanding of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. 
in a bad Certainly. way. And so what I'm wondering, there's a connection here. We have so few people who believe in the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in the, in the appearance of bread and wine that it is actually Jesus Christ. And it seems mm-hmm. to me that as this false gospel, which I think is false, to teach that this was the generosity of the people, are you, are you trying to say that Jesus can't, can't have a mir- he can't do miracles? I mean, there's a lot of implications that go there. And so mm-hmm. here's my point. If we look at the fathers of the church and we look at the saints and we see commentary on this, I can't find one father of the church or saint that goes along with this idea of generosity. Maybe I'm wrong, but I couldn't find any. But if you are, it's all they are too. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> you know, that, I remember many years ago uh, oh, when, I, when I very first started working at St. Joseph Communications, yeah. uh, uh, we were handling all the audio fulfillment yeah. for EWTN. Right. And Scott Hahn was on EWTN. He was mm-hmm. talking about the Eucharist. And a guy called, and, and they put him through to me. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I was kind of in-house apologist in those days. Yes. And it was a Baptist fellow who was, he was, he was actually livid. He was pig-biting mad. Uh-oh. That wafer is not Jesus Christ, he says to me, and, and gets on his high horse. And so I just told him, I said, well, let's you know, go to John chapter 6. And I said, so what does that mean to you? You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you have no life in you. Yep. You know, and he says to me, it means you have to accept Jesus in your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. Wow. Right. And I remember saying to him, I said, but that's not what it says. He says, yeah, but that's what it means. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I said, okay. Well, we have we have a difference of interpretation here. Yeah, we do. And so so I asked him a question. I said, if I could produce Saint John and 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 he told because you know, would you agree that Saint John knew what he was talking about when he wrote his gospel? Yes, I agree. I said if 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 Saint John was here right now and he told us what it was, would you agree with him? Yes, I would. Good. Because I mean, he he knows I'm not gonna yeah, you know, bring him back from the dead. Okay. Right. You know, my chances of my bringing Saint John into the conversation were right. nil. Yeah. And I said, well. He had a disciple named Polycarp, and Polycarp taught that the interpretation is that Jesus is really present in the Christian Eucharist. And then Polycarp had a had a, a disciple named Ignatius of Antioch, yeah. and he also taught these things. Yes, <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. And he had never it had never occurred to him before that there are extra biblical, yeah. um, you know, evidence for for this being the traditional Christian interpretation of John chapter six. It, it had never even entered his mind. Beautiful. So I don't know. I don't know what whatever may have happened to that fellow. Yeah, well, but, uh, but I know that I made him think. Oh, you made him think by asking him that question, uh, and this is an important thing when we share the gospel. Not so much what we say, but it's asking good questions for people to think about things. Matthew, we could go on and on on this gospel, yeah. but I want to. <laughs> I know we really could, but I want to bring the smartest guy into the room right now, Archbishop. <laughs> oh, Sheena had. I would like to take a few minutes to talk about what Fulton Sheen says and how it applies to our culture today, because I think he's nailing it. He said, the final form of hatred of religion, the final form of hatred of religion is a wish to defy God and to maintain one's own evil in the face of his goodness and power. I I read that and I said, bingo, that's us today. Mm Mm-hmm. Think about how we want to, with the AI stuff, or we want to do, you know, even just abortion, contraception. It's all about me. It's, I want to do it my way. And even if, I mean, look at the, uh, the um, child trafficking, abusing our children. I mean, if we can kill them in the womb, why can't we abuse them outside the womb? In other words, this is what we're doing. And, and we think that, as Bishop Sheen points, it's a hatred to defy God and say, God, Stick it to you. I'm going to do it my way. You know, it's interesting you bring that up. Every time you, you talk to or you hear some atheist mm-hmm. on TV, oh, why don't you believe in God? He brings up some problem of evil. Well, listen, that thing yeah. happened. God, you know, isn't doing anything about it, so that's bad. And it's like, well, you're not, you're, that's not an argument against God. You're, you're saying he's being a, he's doing a poor job as God. Right. <laughs> right. So, and that's the thing that uh, Bishop Sheen talked about that with the woman atheist who came oh, into. Yeah. Into the Park. church when he was in England. Yes, you know, and was in the church railing against the faith, and he yeah. took her aside, and she said, "Oh yes, I go every week. I go to Leicester Square and yeah. and you know, preach <laughs> my atheism." Yeah. And he said, "Thank you for for you know confirming my faith." <laughs> and she said, "You silly fool! I'm I'm you know I'm saying God doesn't exist." And he said, "Well, 
what would happen to you if you went down there and started talking about centaurs and unicorns? She said, well, they, they'd carry me away because I'd yeah. be insane. Because mm -hmm. why? Because those things don't exist. And I said, yeah, but you talk about God and they don't take you away <laughs> <laughs> because he does exist. And then she said, I hate you. I bet. And he says, now we're getting somewhere. I love it. What a great dialogue. You, you really gave a good description of that, Matt. That was pretty yeah, beautiful. It was, you know, but that's but that was a powerful story. When I was coming into the church, you know, you I'd like, oil was still fresh on my forehead when you gave me those, yep. those tapes. Yep, and it was just invaluable. Yeah, that, it is invaluable to me. Back in 1978, November, I can remember being sick, listening to these records, and going, "Wow, the church needs to use this to evangelize people." And we did <laughs> for the last 44 years. Matt yeah, Arnold filling in for Jess Romero, and we come back. We're going to talk about salvation. What does the Catholic Church have to say about it? What's the catechism have to say about it? And how is one saved? I mean, think about this. We see it on rocks. Jesus saves. But how? We're going to talk about that and much more on the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin, most powerful radio. Stay with us, family. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. We were just talking about the multiplication of the loaves. And Matthew, I hope you don't mind, but I had a saint quote that I wanted to share, and I forgot. Yeah. It's from St. <laughs> Peter Julian Emmard, great apostle of the Eucharist. And this is a powerful statement. He said, we must have true adorers, that is to say men of fer fervor and sacrifice. When they have, come be when they have become numerous around their divine chief, that's our Lord, God will be glorified, Jesus will be loved, and, he said, society will become Christian, conquered mm -hmm. by the apostle of a Eucharistic prayer. I read that, and I said, wow, that means that, Terry, you got to spend some time before our Eucharistic king and just adoration and make reparation for the world and trying to help bring people to Christ and I think of my good friend's sisters. I have sisters that are nuns that their apostolate is adoration before the Blessed Sacrament. And they're making atonement for sin in the world. And they're praying for all of us. As a matter of fact, Matt, if you don't mind, I'm going to give a little letter from the Norbertine sisters. Oh. Um, yeah, out in Wilmington, California. And I know some of those girls. I, I watched some of them grow up as little girls. And now they're full-flung nuns. And mm -hmm. they said, Dear Virgin, Most Powerful Radio, thank you so much for your efforts in standing up for our religious sisters during this particular twisted time of the church. Let me just read a little bit more. Uh, with persecution, we, the Congregation of Norbertine Sisters, are so grateful for all you and your work in defending God's kingdom and his beloved brides. He's referring to the brides, the sisters, the brides of Christ. Let you know know that that you are all in our prayers. These are the girls praying before the Blessed Sacrament. May God bless you always with grateful hearts. I love that line, with grateful hearts. <laughs> the Congregation of the Norbertine Sisters, Costa Mesa and Wilmington, California. And I find it interesting, Matt Arnold, because I don't think I shared this with you. I think you're surprised, but uh, that you go to church in Costa Mesa with the Norbertines. I do. So um, now you know those sisters have been praying for us, and they appreciate Virgin Most Powerful as a witness to defend Holy Mother, the Church, and the Brides of Christ. That's lovely. The they have a comment there on the grounds. I mean, I don't get over there very much, mm -hmm. but I've been in their chapel. Have you? And uh, I teach RCIA. You could, uh, you know, hit it with a rock. Good. <laughs> well, <laughs> Literally I, a stone's throw away. I thought I'd surprise you. I had been meaning to pull that. that out. Matt, let's talk about... And, and, you know, I want to just say this. We're going to talk about salvation. Many times Jess and I talk about some world issues that are going on, and we have to talk about that and give a, a, a world biblical view on it. But I still think it's so important to talk about the fundamentals of our Catholic faith. I mean, I hear uh, I've been working as an apologist, as an evangelist for four decades, and I'm still studying the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes... People think, well, I, I studied that when I was in grade school. 
Yeah, well, ask a professional basketball player if he runs any drills or not. <laughs> there you go. He's been doing it since he was in high school, right? Yeah. But, he, but, you, but you have to do it. You have to, yeah. have to focus on those fundamentals. So I'm going to throw it over to you and say, let's talk about salvation. How, what is it and how is it done? Right. Well, you know, unlike some of our separated brethren, salvation is not a one-time thing. It's not a, you know, you sometimes hear those stories like, yeah, I was in the Piggly Wiggly over by the frozen peas and somebody gave me a Billy Graham track and I gave my heart to Jesus right there and I was saved, right? Once saved, I'm saved. Nope. Yeah, well, now we we do believe that uh, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, that man is saved by God's grace. Amen. Through faith in Jesus Christ and through cooperation with that grace and living a life of holiness. And here's an important word, obedience to God's commandments. Yes. See, and, and <clears throat> this, is, free, this, is not, this is not an ancient teaching. This is the catechism of the Catholic Church. Okay? And, and Matthew, add, I also add free will. See, we, it's, all, it's our choice. Absolutely. We have to be part of this equation. We can't just say, hey, I'm going to put my card in and the, uh, a door opens because I have the key pass. Nope. That's right. You know, salvation faith is more than intellectual assent. You can believe in God and not have any faith. Well said. You know, uh, and also we, uh, I just love this from paragraph 169. Something never, never occurred to me, never even, I, I remember. my page. Okay, go ahead. How many times? Who knows? And it's, it's been like wallpaper and suddenly it jumped out of me. It jumped out of me. Tell me uh, if this strikes you. Yeah. It says, salvation comes from God alone. That's it. But because we receive the life of faith through the church, she is our mother. Oh, beautiful. We believe the church as mother of our new birth and not in the church as if she were the author of our salvation. Wow, that is a great paragraph. I hadn't read that for that's, a while. Yeah, that's, that's, an, that's an incredible distinction, isn't it? Yes. Yes, we believe the church. We believe the witness of the church. We don't believe in the church. Well said. Good distinction. Right? Yes. The same thing. Like you don't believe in the Bible. You believe the Bible. Exactly. You believe in Jesus Christ. You believe in God. That you know, because God is the author of our faith, and and it is Christ who won the graces uh, on the Holy Cross that the church then communicates to us through the sacraments that He established. You know, you're getting me to read the next paragraph, and I'm going, wow, this is... Hey, everybody, that was paragraph 169 in the Catechism. Right. Uh, well, go ahead, Matt, because 170, uh, it goes right with that same line. We do not believe in formulas, but in those realities they express, which Correct. faith allows us to touch. The believer's act of faith does not terminate in these propositions, but in the realities which they express. All the same... We do approach these realities with the help of formulations of faith, which permit us to express the faith and hand it on to celebrate it in the community and to assimilate and live it more and more. Well said. Yeah, you know, that to, to receive salvation, you have to have faith in Jesus Christ, yeah. Son of God, yeah. Savior of the world, not merely intellectual assent, but actually a personal trust and surrender to Christ, to, to accept him as Lord and Savior. That's not a Protestant thing. That's, no, that's the gospel, exactly. you know? And and faith alone, though, as we know, it's not sufficient for salvation. Right. Because you can have faith and and, and still go to hell. Right. Uh, it has to be, you know, faith must be accompanied by works of charity, and most especially obedience to God's commands. Remember, Jesus in the gospel, he says, um, you know, if you love me, Keep my commandments. Right. Oh, I love Jesus. Okay, well, then enough with the sinning already. Oh. <laughs> you love Jesus. Keep his commandments. Uh, and, and one of those commandments, we were talking in the last segment about the Holy Eucharist. In John 6, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Yep. And in the Greek, they tell me that's zoe. That's, that's eternal life. Yep. But he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true to drink. Terry, this is about following the commandments of Jesus, accepting him, having faith in him. All of those things are important, but they're not sufficient. It has to be the whole ball of wax, right? Yes, Matthew. But, you know, uh, back 500 years ago when Luther uh, gave a pitch uh, saying how easy it is to just accept Christ, it's like um, snow over poop, okay? It's, uh, you know, I mean, sorry, but that's how he made the analogy. Yes, grace covers your sins yeah. like snow on a dunghill. Yeah, a dunghill, it. okay. Well, I mean, uh, here's my point. It sounds easy, though. Doesn't it sound like, oh, wow, then I don't have to do anything. But you see, right. that's why 
we have the uh, what, it, what we call a, a, an easy gospel. No, it's not. The gospel is not easy. Uh, it's rewarding, but it takes effort. And, you know, the only value in saying yes to God is we have the freedom to say no. And so That's when we talk about salvation, we have to be part of that process. Right. You know, and also, uh, I think you were you mentioned before the program, we were, might uh, talk about yeah. extra ecclesia in the South. I got it right here. Yes. What's, the salvation yeah. inside the church. Yep. Um, and that's an important axiom. But we need to remember that God God wills that all men be saved and come to know the truth. Yep. Right? That's mm-hmm. 1 Timothy 2 4. Yep. And, and we know that God is not the author of evil. God is merciful. God will give to every person the opportunity to encounter the grace necessary for their salvation. The point is that if you are saved, Terry, and yeah. I, and I, you know, or, or if I am saved, and in my case, we can underline the if. Yeah, if, you, if. if it's by Christ, by his church. Yes, it'll be by, it'll be by Christ. It will not be because, you know, if a, if a Muslim goes to heaven, it's not because he was nope. a good Muslim. No, it was not. Mm-hmm. It will be through the, through the grace of Jesus Christ that That's was right. communicated to him, perhaps in an extraordinary way. We don't know. Yeah. But we do know the ordinary means. We know that God established the church and that he said, he who believes and is baptized, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood. He made it very specific. He who keeps my commandments. Yeah, these are the ones who will be saved. And if people want to get a reference that Matthew's Matthew's talking about, go to your catechism, paragraph eight forty six. The top of it says, "Outside the church, there is no salvation." And so you can read that right there, based on itself, scripture and tradition. The councils teach the church, a pilgrim now on earth, is necessary for salvation. The one Christ is the mediator and the way of salvation. He is present to us in his body, which is the church, he himself explicitly asserted the necessity of faith and baptism, thereby affirmed at the same time the necessity of the church, which men enter through baptism uh, through a door. Hence, they could not be saved, who knowing that the Catholic Church was founded as necessary by God through Christ, who would refuse either to enter it or to remain in it. Uh, a lot of people would say that's not very pastoral, but that's how it <laughs> but, works. I'm but, joking. But, it, but, it's, but, you know, it's very, but the thing is, though, that's not, it's not as, it's exclusive, but yes, it's not it exclusionary. Is. He says, no. those who know, yeah, no. that, that, that the Catholic faith is I necessary for salvation. Yeah. If, yeah, if, if you reject the Catholic faith, knowing that it's necessary for salvation, how could you be saved? You can't be. You know, God's going to save you against your will? Yeah. Well, of course not. You you must you must you know uh, have that desire to be saved, and then and then, you know, put your faith in Christ, and uh, and keep His commandments so that you will be saved. Right, Matthew. When we take the break, I'd like to. I mean, we can go on and on in this, but I want to say something about what's kind of crazy in our church right now is we have priests bragging, and his missionaries, Franciscans, saying that we haven't baptized anyone in thirty or forty years down in. And in, in um, Brazil, and I asked myself, well, what, what does he think he's supposed to be doing as a Catholic priest and not baptizing, just helping people? You think you're a social worker? I, I want to ask the question. It seems that we, as a body of the Christ, have forgotten about the great commission that Christ has given to all of us to go out and preach the gospel in the Gospel of Matthew. And other places in the Bible. And I want to ask the question, it's just a question, is what does the church actually teach about going out? Are we, is that, has that changed? I don't think so. And where can <laughs> we show that? Because I think some people in the church think, well, we've lost that charism, that we've kind of put the flag up and said, okay, we're not going to have to go and proclaim anybody. All the missionaries, they, they were wasting their time. They, they died, you know, sacrificial lives. But we, we know better now. We don't need to go out there and 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 and, and put ourselves at harm's way to share the gospel. I think I'm hitting on something that is a sore spot in the modern church today, Matt. Amen. I think sometimes I, I think there's still a fair amount of talk about evangelization. I think there's a fair amount of talk about um, well, some other things that we can get to in, when we come back. Yeah. But you know, sometimes when people talk about evangelization, they may not understand it the way the catechism presents it and that's why we want to be able to tell people what that is paragraph 849 we're going to cover it the 
the man the requirements of the church they would call it the missionary mandate what is it well you'd be surprised <laughs> we'll be back to tell you about that and much much more stay with us Welcome back indeed to the Terry and Jesse show. Matt Arnold sitting in for Jess Romero. I love talking about the topic salvation. And I'll tell you why, Matt. You know, but maybe some of our listeners don't know. I go to over 200 funerals a year here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. And I see a wide variety of people regarding their funeral. And today, I, I ran into a gentleman who was here two months ago at another funeral. And uh, it was his turn. Two months later, he died of liver failure from being an alcoholic. And mm-hmm. the gentleman was very much overweight and would just drink. And I thought about it. I pray, I, every time we, we wheel a body in there, I always pray prayers for the repose of his soul. Sure. Well, the mortuary guy said every single person that went up to talk about this soul, they talked about how good of a drinker he was and how much fun we could have. And, huh. and, and it's really sad because... All those people, many of them were baptized, but never got catechized about salvation. Mm-hmm. They, they truly think that life, hey, just have as much fun as you can, and when it's over, it's over. And that's a real deception. And I saw that today after I, the mortuary guys were saying every single person just talked about drinking and drugs and doing whatever you can to have you know fun but they never address the issue of their soul or of you know the meaning and purpose of life. And I see this, and that's why today talking about this topic, I think, is critical, Matt. I agree. You know, um, we talk about evangelization. We've been doing it for many years. You you literally wrote the book on it. Well, <laughs> you helped me. <laughs> how, to share, how to share with you, well, but how to share True. your faith with anyone. Yes, I was, I was pleased to write the forward to the yes. book for the introduction to it. Mm-hmm. Scott Hahn also uh, added a forward uh, to my introduction so it's all you know it's all in the family here but um evangelization you know we hear a lot of talk about it and we also hear about how we should evangelize but we should not proselytize i've heard that so so let's 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 take a look at these things those are good quick points yes evangelist evangelization is the proclamation of the gospel right the good news of jesus christ according to this what I'm looking at here on my computer with the aim of bringing others to the faith in him and inviting them to enter into a relationship with God. Amen. It is the mission of the church to share the message of salvation and to invite all people to invite all people, Terry, not some. That's our mission statement. Invite all people to encounter Jesus Christ and become his disciples. Amen. I just say, this is Jesus. He's nice. And and it's nice that I've introduced you to him. No, I, I want you to follow him. I want you to be his disciple. Catechism of the Catholic Church, 849, you, you, you pointed it out. Yeah, 849, the missionary mandate. Go ahead. The proclamation of the gospel is the fundamental task of the church. Amen. It is the primary mission of the church to bring all people to an encounter with Jesus Christ and to invite them to follow him. Okay, so we're, we're it's the Department of Redundancy Department. Okay, they're they're, they're making a point here. You think? Uh, you know, for for a reason. So so evangelization involves both the proclamation of the gospel through words. Yep. Okay. I've I've, I've heard a lot about the, you know the the Franciscan axiom of preach the gospel always if necessary use words. Okay. Yeah. Well, according to catechism, the the words are a given. Yeah. Okay. You, the proclamation of the gospel through words and witness of Jesus Christ. It's not simply about perform, uh, informing and persuading others, but about introducing people to the person of Jesus Christ and inviting them to experience his love and mercy. I want to I zero in on that for a second. Sure. It's not just, it's not simply right. about sharing information and persuading others, but it is about sharing information and persuading others. Of course. Without that, there isn't any evangelization, Terry. Of course. Okay. Yep. And but it's also about introducing people because there is we were seeing in the church this false dichotomy of people saying, "Oh, introduce people to Christ through the witness of your life and how you, what a good person you are and what a good yeah. Christian you are," but don't talk to them about it, as if that were as, as if that was an affront to their dignity somehow. Yeah. That that you would that you would tell them about Jesus or that you would try and persuade them. Sure. 
to be his disciples. And that has been um, put down as proselytism in the negative sense. You know, proselytism is about, uh, uh, as it's understood today, I mean, originally the word just meant to to convince other people to, yeah. you know, of, of the faith, but it's taken on a negative connotation of, of coercion. Of, yes, it's like pressuring people. Yeah, pressuring people or, or you know, offering them uh, incentives or, right. or, you know, uh, the turn or burn, telling them they're going to go to hell if they don't. Exactly. That kind of thing. Okay, so, so when, you know, obviously you said already that it's about a free choice. You uh, Salvation, you have to choose That's right. uh, to know and, and love and follow God. Mm -hmm. So it's a choice, and it needs to be a free choice. Right. Uh, St. Augustine used to say that a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. In other words, you know, a forced conversion isn't a real conversion of it at all. Right. Right. Because, because it wasn't a free choice. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, hitting a flea with, or flea with a sledgehammer here. No, I get it. But the reason is that, you know, people are suggesting that it is proselytism to try and, you know, not only introduce people to Christ, but to persuade them and invite them at the very least to have a relationship with him, to follow him and become his disciple. That That's not proselytism. That is evangelization. Amen. And, you know, paragraph 851 talks about missionary motivation. And I think our motivation needs to be get back to a pure motivation. It says, it is from God's love for all men that the church in every age, okay, not just uh, yesterday, every age right. receives both the obligation and the vigor of her missionary dynamism. For love of Christ urges us on. Indeed, here it comes, Matt. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. When we say truth, yeah. that's Jesus. He is the Amen. truth. That is God's will, the salvation for everyone through the knowledge of the truth. Salvation is found in the truth. Those who obey the promptings of the Holy of the Spirit of Truth are already on their way to salvation. But the church to whom this truth has been entrusted, this is our mandate, everybody, please, from the Pope all the way down. We must go out to meet their desires so as to bring them the truth because she believes in God's universal plan of salvation. The church must be missionary. So for us to sit back and just say, you know what? We use the term universal salvation. What I mean by mm. that, I'll explain it, is that, hey, why go out and spread the faith? Everybody's going to get to heaven. There's no need to make any sacrifices, spend any effort with your brother. You know that guy, your neighbor? Don't worry about He's He's a, 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 a womanizer. He's on drugs. He drinks. You know what? God loves him. See, this is the false idea that's been going on for, in my opinion, Matt, for 50 or 60 years. It needs to change. Yeah, I, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that 50 or 60 years, unfortunately, is that it's, it's been invading uh, the confines of the Catholic Church herself. Exactly. That, I mean, it was already, it was something that was already around, you know. Um, yeah, it's important to, to, to think about that. I mean, I, I again, before the show, I, I brought this up, and I, I think now's the time for me to sure. dive in on it. Good. And that is, that, you know, to ask the question, I think that this is being avoided. Yeah. Jesus Christ lived 2,000 years ago in, you know, the Near East, in the Holy Land, uh, in that, you know, within that Jewish culture. Mm -hmm. So you know, all the things he said, did he, were these things that were just said to those people at that time that's only relevant to, you know, the life of Christ, you know, on the other side of the birth, or are the things that he said universal and applicable to people in all times and places? A or B, it can't be any other. Well, it's, it's one or the other. Yep. And now, you know, the church has always taught that it's the latter. Yep. And if that's the case, if we're not evangelizing, if the, if, if the church even in, in her, uh, you know, liturgy or in the hierarchical uh, structure of the church are trying to de-emphasize uh, the, the possibility of damnation, Right as yeah. as the as the alternative to salvation because mm -hmm. we are we you know we can't be saved unless we're being saved from something exactly you know? and if you never tell anybody what that is I think that's not only is that maybe a sin of omission it it might be understood as a rejection of the gospel I would I would tend to it, agree oh, that, that's true yeah this this part of what Jesus said isn't important anymore right we'll just reject that you know but but we you know we can't do that now you and I know the church has carried out evangelization all throughout, you know, 20 centuries. Yep. 
various means. We've got the preaching, we've got the catechesis, sacramental life, of course, right. works of charity, the, the personal witness, which is what we've been talking about. Sure. Trying to seek, you know, or reach out to individuals and communities, but both within as well as outside the church. Right. Share that message of salvation and to bite, invite people to respond to God's grace. See, evangelization isn't limited to those who have never heard of Jesus Christ. <laughs> right? It's about this ongoing formation. Uh, deepening the faith, like you say, every every day, yes. want to fall in love more deeply in love with Jesus Christ. Yep. We deepen the faith for those who are already baptized, right? And and that's you know it's about sanctification. It's about helping people grow in their relationship with God. Terry, you need to evangelize me, and I need to evangelize Absolutely. you. Absolutely correct. You're right. And, and you know, <laughs> I think we do that. You know, sure, you, you do it for me. I know that. Here. I can I yeah. can tell you, uh, my friendship with you is based not on the way you part your hair. I see how you part it, and either of mine. I don't have any hair to part. It's about our love for Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Now, when we come back, I would like to give some practical levels of evangelization, of sharing the gospel through things like the rosary, mm. the blessed sacrament, the reading of scripture. I'd like to go through some of those topics and show us, as in our family, mom and dad listening right now, watching this, how these exercises that the Catholic faith has been using for, for hundreds of years have helped people fall in love with Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. I want to give a commercial. The commercial is the Opus Angelorum, the work of the Holy Angels, will be at the Sacred Heart Chapel August 28th, 29th, and 30th for an evening of recollection. We'll have confession available. I'm going to have three priests there. Not one, not two. Yeah, three Wow. Yeah. So plenty of just don't don't hesitate to come. Uh, we have mass. Hot, hat, hot and cold running absolution. Yeah. Hot and cold. That's, that's good. <laughs> and then we have holy mass at 730. It's going to be a great evening. Also, I want to encourage you. You'll know more information about the conference in Tyler, Texas on September 1st and 2nd. Look at our website by next week. We should have information on that. The, the Positive Faith Conference. I'll be there speaking. And when we come back, we're going to talk about exercises in the Catholic faith that actually help us evangelize, especially our family and friends. Stay with us, family. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back. It's not Jesse, it's Matt Arnold filling in for Jess Romero. And we're having a grand time talking about evangelization. And in this segment, I wanted to put some practical things that mom, dad, we all can do. Matter of fact, I know for my family and for Matt's family, one thing that we've done that's helped a lot is praying the family rosary. Matt, can you talk a little bit on how the rosary is essential in sharing the gospel. Absolutely. Well, as when I first converted, um, I was already married, and we were married in the church. I'm not going to give you the whole long story, but I didn't convert at that time. I did convert uh, some years later when our son was, uh, I came to the church, I guess he was three years old at that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we were just a young family just starting out. And I started praying the rosary during RCIA. The, the priest who was doing RCIA actually had us pray the rosary at the beginning of every class. Wow together with the intention that the Holy Spirit would, uh, you know, our, our Blessed Mother would um, intercede with the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds. And, you know, and it uh, be careful doing that if you don't, uh, you know, want results, because <laughs> it certainly changed my life. Sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, so the rosary was very important to me. It was instrumental in my conversion. And my wife and I, of course, we would pray the rosary together after uh, we put the baby to bed, and then another one came along, and and uh, after a while, you know, we said, okay, we're just, we're, it's time to include them. We're just going to have them as part of it. And, um, you know, when the kids were a little older, I tried to do that thing where you have everybody lead a decade, you yeah. know, we'll go around, take turns. Ah, it was a train wreck. And so I ah. just, I pulled the dad card and said, look, I'm just going to lead the rosary from now on. That's, wow. the, that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. I'm the spiritual head of the house. Yeah. I lead the rosary. Right. You know, if I'm not here, mom will do it. And, and, you know, and it was funny because sometimes, you know, I tell people about it and, and I don't know, Terry, I don't know how many men 
have thanked me over yes. the years. Yes. Say, you know, I heard what you said about that, and we've been doing the the family rosary together, and it's changed uh, the dynamic in our in our household. It's you know uh, changed things for the better. Yep. We still, I, I've got four kids living at home uh, from twenty five down to sixteen. Yes. And we still all get together and pray the rosary every single night. Awesome. As if, awesome. Because you know, and and they would they would be upset if we didn't. Yeah, at this country, you know, it's because, because it's a part of their lives. Uh, ever since they were little, I remember sometimes people, when the kids were small, they would say, "Oh, well, you know, don't they just fall asleep? Like, what are they getting out of it? Yeah, you know, don't they just fall asleep?" And I'm going, "You don't have a lot of kids because you know, if they, I would much rather carry a sleeping child to bed than drag one kicking and screaming." Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the children falling asleep, frankly. Right. But uh, no, but it it, uh, it really has had a had an effect on our family over the years. Yes. And, and I don't know, you know, it's just, it is such a part of life. I don't know what we would do without it. Beautiful. Matt, one of the things, I'll just shift gears to the Eucharist because we got a segment here to cover all three. Uh, the Holy Eucharist, bringing children, especially your family, to the Blessed Sacrament. I remember as a young man, uh, and we're talking in the early 1970s or late 60s, uh, we saw a lot of Catholics leaving the church for evangelical churches. And mm -hmm. one of the questions my brother asked, he said, why would anybody do that, Terry? They don't have the Eucharist. They have a symbol. Mm -hmm. We have the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. So why do I bring this story up? Because of an evangelization, many kids, by the time they reach the age of 23, 87% of the children are not practicing the faith. I can guarantee it that if they have a love for the Blessed Sacrament, that you taught mm. them when they were young, that Jesus is there, they're going to find the peace that the world can't give them in the Blessed Amen. Sacrament. And I really Amen. believe that that has touched me and it's touched my kids' lives. So I want to encourage you, moms and dads, take the time to bring the children to the Blessed Sacrament and explain that. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old grandson. Just today we had him at Mass and... We were repeating ourselves again, what's taking place upon the altar? You know, we mm -hmm. go through it all with him. And, you know, how many times is he going to hear that from me? Probably yeah. hundreds more, I hope. Right, right. Because I remember uh, uh, just the other day we were at Mass, mm -hmm. and um, our oldest daughter and her husband and their uh, little girl yeah. uh, came to Mass with us. Good. And, you know, the, the baby wants to sit on Nana's lap, of course, you know. Um, and... You know, we're the traditional Latin Mass, so it's always, you know, you can hear a pin drop in there. Yeah. But at the consecration, you know, Betty's there in her ear. Now Jesus is coming. Awesome. That's not bread anymore. Awesome. Jesus now. And, and you know, <laughs> yeah, inculcating that at an early age and, and repeating it, like you say. Yes. Ad nauseum and the, the family rosary. I mean, the one thing I can say, we, we have our ups and downs. No family's like all perfect. Of us. We've, all, we've all got our issues. Yeah. But I got, I, you know, I have six kids. Um, the youngest 16. The rest of them are adults. Up to my son's, uh, I think, just turned 30, you know, and uh, I got a, a daughter. And they're, they're uh, both my eldest are out of the house and married and have their own kids and everything. But I can tell you the one thing they have in common, they all go to Mass every single Sunday and Holy Day of Obligation without fail. Well, that tells you something. Yeah. You're not, your kids are not, or my kids are not part of that 87%. They're, they're not Why? a statistic. <laughs> Was it just by chance? No. I really no. think, Matthew, an evangelization for the family is that dad and mom together share the faith with the children. That's right. Matthew. Now, we, we had the, you know, as, as I know you were home, you guys homeschooled, and so did we. Yeah. So we had the, uh, the advantage of, of literally teaching our kids the faith. I mean, you know, teaching them their religious class, their religion class. But, uh, you know, even if you have the kids in the parish school, you need to spend that time with them. You need to take, That's right. um, you know, take a um, responsibility for their religious education. Yeah. Fantastic. You're right. As if, they, if they know that, that especially dad, mom and dad, but especially yeah. dad, if they know that dad believes, if yeah. dad goes to church, dad practices his faith. That's the one thing across all denominational lines right. and even, you know, uh, Jews and Christians and, yeah. and Muslims, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's dad's example. Yeah. That uh, that is the most, um, you know, uh, effective. Yeah, it is, and that's just the facts. Matthew, the final thought is on the Word of God, uh, giving uh, the absolutely uh, love for God's Word to uh, an individual. Because I I find that um, reading Scripture is such a um, 
consolation for me, especially when I'm struggling with things and I, and I read something in the Word of God that just... I'll, I'll just give you a... a, 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 a well, I'll give you an example that I got from Bishop Strickland, and it was from Hebrews. And let me see if I can get it for you real quick here. And it's basically about how... Here it is. Hebrews 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> That's it. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. This message is essential for the faithful today. Bishop Strickland says, many strange things are being taught that pretend to be uh, from Christ. But it's not. So that scripture verse, Hebrews 13, verse 8 and 9, reaffirms me in my faith. That's why mm -hmm. reading the Bible is so important. Your take on that? Hearing the words, yes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and yeah. forever, yeah. is like a cool drink of water. There you go. It is. It's it's so refreshing, and it and it's important. And it's important. Yeah, you do need to hear that, and you need need to encounter the scriptures because they're the inspired word of God. Yes. And yes, the church compiled these these various the pieces of literature, their gospels, their letters. There's prophecy. There's there's poetry, and and it's all put together, and it's for the sake of our salvation. Right. That, that we have these to read. And now, of course. We're going to encounter those scriptures in the Holy Mass and in the Divine Office, but also in our personal reading and in Lexio Divina. I mean, that was that was something you're not going to be terribly surprised by this. That was reintroduced very, very uh, powerfully into Benedictine spirituality through the Cistercians under Saint Bernard of Clairvaux. No surprise. You know, he, yeah, he was all about reading the scriptures yeah. and and applying. I mean, reading them we would say today existentially. Yeah. You know, to to take that and to actually to apply it to your life, because those words have have meaning, but they also have meaning for you. Yes, that's the beauty of scripture. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you and you can and you can read the same thing, same passage a hundred times, yep. and every time something else will come. You know, it'll strike you in a different way. And if I might add one more thought, Matthew, I I was taught by Ignatius uh, exercises, spiritual exercises. But one of the things I do before I go to bed is I read scripture of a an event in the life of Christ, because I noticed that I dream about my last thing that's on my mind. <laughs> and so I found, wow. yeah, I have found that I've dreamt about being on a rock, sitting there watching Jesus coming into Jerusalem or whatever I'm reading. And I dream about it. And I put myself into that situation, like I'm mm -hmm. just observing it. But it's, it's, it's been very edifying for me. Now, yes, my imagination, I'm dreaming, remember? It goes. Sure. But the fact is, what am I dreaming about? That's I right. Word. So I would suggest that people consider doing that before they go to bed. That's a beautiful thought. And and thank you. I, I'm going to, well, I kind of do that anyway. I but, think you do. <laughs> you know, that spiritual reading before bedtime yes. is, is the right way to go. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just to wrap all this up. I'll wrap it up. Um, I just wanted to say we were talking about evangelization because evangelization has a purpose. It's about saving souls. Amen. Right, that's that's the supreme law. Yep, saving souls is the most important yep. thing. It's the mandate of the church. The goal of evangelization is not to impose our beliefs or convert people by force because that doesn't work. Right, we have to make a free choice, but we do need to present the gospel in a way that invites a personal response. Right, to to offer that invitation to encounter Jesus Christ and to enter into that uh, that life giving relationship with Him and and to participate in the life and then the mission of the church and that's how and that's how we multiply amen uh, matt thank you for taking this hour with me boy it went by fast you know talking <laughs> about salvation and i hope yeah, our I've listeners lied. appreciate this material because you can share this podcast with your friends or family and say hey you know what this is something that i want you to listen to and see what you think about Matthew Arnold and Terry Barber were talking about and how it applies to your family because I think this is the key getting the word out to people and sometimes and I found this in evangelization that maybe it's not what you said but you gave them a link now to a video <laughs> or to a radio show that really touched them in a powerful way and you didn't have to say much other than I'm sending you a link Matt Arnold what state should we be living in brother I hear the music 
Yeah, that would be the state of grace, Terry. And that's how we get to salvation, by living in friendship with Jesus Christ, sanctifying grace. And if for, you know, you haven't been to confession in over a month, get to confession, because this is an exercise of like, I tell you what, it's like you don't take a shower once a month, do you? I hope not. <laughs> go to, go, you know, to get cleaned. We need confession to clean our soul. Hmm. And I also want to remind everybody, and you know I'm going to say this, Matt, that Our Lady of Fatima's message, one of the things she said is souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. Let's intercede for our loved ones and for our enemies and for those in the church who are not doing their duty. Let's pray for their conversion. We have some of that going on in the church. Don't get mad. Get down on your knees and make some prayers for those souls. They need them. The church needs it. The world needs Amen. Jesus Christ. He's counting on you to help. May God richly bless you and your family. We'll see you again next day. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O oh my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great High Priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin most powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.